Good afternoon. If you're hearing my voice, you must be listening to Voices from the Front Lines, your national movement building show, Tuesday at three o'clock. So today we have an exciting show. Um, what we are doing is our part two, and if you really take into part the whole series, our part four on George Jackson and uh, the prisoner rights movement. And... Uh, Today, we're going to be hearing a few clips. Number one, we'll be hearing Eric, who recorded about a seven or eight minute clip on uh, George Jackson and about his book also, Comrade George. We'll also be hearing a part two of Angela Davis um, on her historical thoughts um, and significance of George Jackson. Uh, we're also going to start the show off with this amazing ballad. Uh, it's by... Matt Callahan and Yvonne Moore, and they wrote a book about the 99 books series that is being put on again by Freedom Archives, and we're going to hear them. You know, it's the last day of Black August, and, you know, the thing that we are trying to figure out is how do we continue this tradition? Um, one of the traditions that Angela Davis talked about in part one i.e. go see our episode on the Voices from the Frontlines podcast from last week on SoundCloud. But one of the things she talked about is the prison as a site of knowledge production. And on Voices from the Frontlines, one thing I think you'll know is that we're also trying to be a site of knowledge production and always trying to figure out what are the set of ideas and the set of movements that we want to highlight. And so... We have done about four shows, if you looked at a lot of the lists of our shows. Uh, we did one show on Comrade George and how George Jackson influenced the life of Eric Mann. We did a second show on Kevin Rashid Johnson, a conversation with his wife and comrade, Shupavu uh, Wakarima. And I thought that was a really great show, talking about Kevin Rashid Johnson and his struggle um, and the current struggle that's going on around punishing him and you know the in the the prison industrial complex of the racist reenslavement complex basically punishing him and trying to figure out how do you basically do the worst that you can around him um, and then last week we had on the show uh, the Freedom Archives, which is the part one of the ninety nine book series. 
We had uh, both folks on that are behind the 99 Books Project. Um, and just as a reminder, what's happening is that this month, there were uh, the Freedom Archives is highlighting 99 books. And they're the 99 books, uh, the list, uh, the 99 books that were found in the cell of George Jackson almost immediately after the prison actually um, assassinated him. And they're very, they're amazing books. And Eric is going to go through the list um, more thoroughly a little bit later on the show. But we think that this project is one of the most important projects in the city right now, in the nation right now, to really talk about the historical prison industrial complex and how it still has an effect today. Um, and so with that, I want to start with the ballad. It's a three-minute uh, song about the 99 books about uh, George Jackson and honoring this tradition. Um, so let's hear it.
absolutely fantastic. I mean, I feel like I could have just played that song instead of giving the introduction. They gave the the perfect introduction. I mean, number one, the conversation we had last week with Claude Marx and Natalia Moore, this song talked about basically the tradition of George Jackson even starting the prison intellectual movement uh, and the black intellectual movement inside of prisons. And, you know, before he did anything, they, as, as was said on uh, Angela Davis's uh, clip, as, you know, Nathaniel said, you know, it was so embarrassing that you have all these prisoners and no library, no knowledge production. Um, and as you can see years later that they've learned that the knowledge production has you know, driven the movement in a lot of extent. You know, the other thing that's really great about this project that the song in itself highlights is that while we're under, we're technically under COVID restrictions, the 99 Books Project has been so amazing and proved so much so that whether we're in person or whether we're online, whether we're in social distancing, the movement has to keep going. Um, and what's really great because I listened to every single video, like literally, I the only thing I did not look at on the website was the curriculum yet. Um, but fortunately, I had one sick day when I had like a sore throat, and you know, nowadays when you get sick with anything, you just don't go anywhere because you don't know what it is. And so I had the whole day to watch every single video. And for myself, even as a developed organizer in the city, I learned extremely a lot, extremely a lot. I mean, so many, so many points of knowledge in every single video. Um, and what their song is basically highlighting is that the movement is creative um, and the movement has to continue moving. And we figure out every point of knowledge, every point of touch, even if that's a website, um, and in that tradition, what we did last week is we had actual uh, actual film showing where we brought folks together to watch select clips and to learn lessons together, um, because that is what George Jackson is trying to do. Um, so I want to welcome Eric. Hi, Channing. <laughs> How's it going? Um, well, I'm violating my diet with a donut, <laughs> half a donut. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a half violation. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. Um, you know, we had a couple of people on the film club from Voices, which was wonderful. And one guy said, you know, I, I bought the book, um, Soul of That Brother, because I heard your show. So I, I'm, for those listeners who are out there, we're very close to understanding what we're doing. I know it's a funny thing to say, but... Channing and I a lot have been working on the issue of cultural production, as has the Strategy Center, from the beginning. So Strategy Center has always been, for, first of all, theory-driven practice. We started with an anti-imperialist united front. Nobody does that. But I come out of the communist movement, and I come out of the civil rights movement. We believed in building an anti-imperialist united front because of Vietnam and the black movement, who were oppressed nations. We were pro-communist because the United States was anti-communist and because the communist nations all over the world were the ones who were helping black people. And the so-called American democracies, the European democracies, which were the genocidal countries 
uh, were the enemies of those movements. Okay, so uh, you go through the period of mass nonviolent and nonviolent direct action, which was great. And um, during that period, the issue of black militancy was often on the idea of sitting in and getting arrested. And people would say stuff like, you know, we're going to fill up the jails. We're going to fill up the jails. Well, the assumption was you're going to fill up the jails and you can get out. But increasingly, they found out and we found out that there's a whole lot of people in the jails already. And those people in the jails are not ostensibly political prisoners. They're, they're mainly black people who have been re-enslaved under any law that they want to make up, then turned back into slave labor, ball and chain, literal balls and chains, uh, you know, breaking rocks on the chain gang. So we fast forward to the late 1960s where the Panthers come along, the issue of uh, black armed self-defense develops. People are fed up with nonviolence. There's a lot of talk about black power. Now, in the middle of this, there were, it turns out in retrospect, 200,000 prisoners. But most of us did not grasp the prisoners as a political force. We didn't know what to do with them. You know, they were our sisters, our brothers who were in. We got to get them out. We knew something was wrong. But it's not just, you know, it was Malcolm X. But it was George Jackson who became the theorist of the black experience. And as we said in the pre previous shows, George Jackson writes a book called Soledad Brother, that the prison letters are so, and I have to say, literate, poetic, brilliant, funny, conversations with his mother, long philosophical treatise, that yes, there is this condescending thing like, oh my God, a black prisoner can write. Yeah. Oh my God, a black prisoner can think. That's okay. That's the first step. Yeah. And people going, oh, so yeah. maybe there's some other people in there who can write and think. Duh. And what people didn't realize, as Angela Davis will show you on this clip, is the prisons, as you say, have always been a center for the production of knowledge. The problem is, how do you get that knowledge out? Right. So you can be having the knowledge, but you're imprisoned. So where the show is going is we've had four shows. This is our fourth one. I did an introduction to George Jackson in my book, Comrade George. We then did a whole show about the uh, black political prisoner, Kevin Rashid Johnson. Then last week, we did the show about uh, the beginning of the George Jackson 99 books. Then we did the film club last Thursday night. And now we're doing, you could say, the end of this, the series, you know, is going to end here. We have a National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing. When is it going to open? I don't know. But I've said to people ahead of time, I think the first job is to develop curriculum. Because otherwise people are going to come and think an organizer school is sort of like talking about your organizing. You right. know what I mean? Like, how do you do this and how do you do that? Strategy Center has always believed that organizing is, is theoretical, strategic, and you read, and you read, and you read. So one of the things we want to do now is 
Angela Davis is going to refer to this. I'm going to refer to this, but I'm going to start reading you the 99 books. Because imagine this is George Jackson, a brilliant prisoner who was murdered on August 21st, um, uh, when did I get it? 1971. Okay. To Be Free by Herbert Aptheck, a communist theorist on, you know, Africa the Way Ahead by Jack Waddy. The Empire of Oil by Harvey O'Connor, a great exposure, obviously, of the oil industry in the third world. A History of Pan-African Revolt by C.O.R. James that we got to get. Revolutionary Priest uh, by Camilo Torres. This is a lot beginning of the um, liberation theology in Latin America. So the revolutionary priests were challenging the dominant politics of the Catholic Church. Black Skin, White Mass by Franz Fanon. Our bookstore starts with The Wretched of the Earth by Franz Fanon. There's another very important one. Uh, the New Information, Please Almanac, Outlooks, and, and Yearbook, meaning he's going to look up a lot of stuff. The Myth of Black Capitalism by Earl Wolfari, who was a, who was a, a, does a show here. It's, now his name is Earl Ofari Hutchinson. But I remember the myth of black capitalism when it first came out, I think, in the 60s and 70s. Who Rules America by William G. Domhoff. People were really doing a lot of ruling class thinking now, you know, when he was trying to talk about who really runs it, you know, power structure research. Who, um, Mao Zedong, Foreign Language Press. A Documentary History of the Negro People in the United States by Herbert Athek again. You have to remember, George is very close to the Communist Party now. And Angela Davis is in the Communist Party. So a lot of the people he's getting, like Herbert Aptheker, are Communist Party theorists of the black struggle, who are very good, by the way, excellent. But I'm just saying, um, Anti-During, Revolution in Science by Frederick Engels, The Poverty of Philosophy by Karl Marx. So he's reading um, uh, Marx and Engels. Fidel Castro Speaks by Marty Kenner and James Petrus. Marty Kenner was a good friend of mine, and he worked with the Panthers. James Petrus was done a lot of great work in Latin America. Homage to Catalonia by George Orwell. Reader in Marxist Philosophy, writings from Marx, Engels, and Lenin. The Age of Imperialism by Harry Magdoff that I read actually in 1965 when a group of us in an anti-war project was saying, we know it's imperialism. What does imperialism mean? How do you understand imperialism? People said, you've got to read this book, The Age of Imperialism by Harry Magdoff. American Negro Slave Revolts by Herbert Aptheker again. Materialism and the Dialectical Method by Maurice Cornforth. Die, Nigger, Die by H. Rap Brown. Jeez. Insurgent <laughs> Mexico by John Reed. Philosophy of World Revolution by Frank Marek. Pre-Capitalist Economic Formations by Karl Marx. Historical Materialism by Maurice Cornforth. Some Changes by June Jordan. That's not, I only got to 25. Now, in the Angela Davis, which is going to be shown next, okay. she um, talks about all the books. So we're going to continue to talk about George's book. But she, one of the things she says is, I am so thrilled to see that June Jordan's poems were in George Jackson's cell. Okay, so we're going to go to the Angela Davis 
clip if that's okay, and I'll keep reading books. But I think you're getting the point here, folks. Books, books, books are critical for revolutionary thought and critical for black consciousness. Well, there's so many lessons. Uh, uh, but I think it would be important to um, emphasize uh, uh, the fact that, uh, that George was an intellectual uh, and that uh, even today we sometimes underestimate uh, uh, the role of the intellectual uh, or the intellectual is considered to be... Uh, uh, marginal to the actual struggle. Uh, and George demonstrated that in order to begin to develop a sense of the nature of the struggle we're involved in, we have to think, we have to read, uh, we have to reflect, uh, and we have to engage in, 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 in collective uh, uh, reflections. Uh, you know, now that, um, that I've read uh, so much more than I had read then, you know, I know how important uh, education, political education has been in, in inside prisons everywhere from uh, um, Antonio Gramsci and his amazing prison notebook uh, to uh, Nelson Mandela and Lolita Lebron. Uh, uh, so, so I think that... Um, that one of his lasting legacies is, um, you know, has to do with the the purpose of knowledge, the role of knowledge, uh, and he I think exemplified uh, how knowledge uh, can be used in a radical and transformative uh, way, how it can be used to change the world. Of course, Frederick Douglass. Uh, uh, emphasize uh, that with education there is no liberation. Uh, um, but I think that message gets lost uh, sometime, particularly, uh, you know, given the terrible state of the, the educational system, uh, uh, which is responsible in part for so many people ending up in prison in the first place. Uh, so, uh, I, I, you, George had a way of following these um, trajectories and thinking about these uh, circuitous uh, uh, connections, and I think that um, he really he really led the way um, toward um, a field of study uh, that is now actually. Uh, a part of a, a, a number of university campuses, critical prison studies, uh, uh, is interdisciplinary. Uh, that uh, uh, that is interdisciplinary in the broadest possible way. Interdisciplinary, not only in involving all of the disciplines, uh, but in recognizing that knowledge gets produced in many different places, and especially uh, behind bars, into seeing uh, the prison as a site for the production of knowledge. Uh, so when I look at uh, the uh, amazing um, uh, studies uh, that have produced over the last, I would say, 10 to 15 years, I can you know, trace that development uh, directly to George's insistence on, on study and collective learning. 
Thank you for giving me the list of uh, the books that were found in George's uh, cell. And I really appreciate it uh, looking uh, through the list because almost every single text has a memory attached to it. Uh, um, and I was not surprised. Uh, but there was one really major surprise, uh, and that was the presence of June Jordan's, uh, an early collection of um, her poetry. Uh, and uh, June is someone who became a very uh, close friend of mine, and, uh, and I, you know, I love her work and the ways in which she used her uh, talents as a poet to, uh, uh, to bring change into the world. Um, you know, June was the was was I don't know maybe one of the first major public figures to speak out uh, in solidarity with Palestine. Uh, so I just I, I just want to to say that uh, when I saw uh, June's uh, book of poetry uh, alongside uh, Marx and Ingalls and Herb Apteka and Maurice Cornforth, all of those, it, it it really brought a smile to my face because. I think that we understand now the role that art and uh, poetry and music uh, uh, play in helping to produce the kind of radical movement that does hold possibilities for change. George was really an internationalist. Uh, and as I think back that period 50 years ago, I, I realized that uh, uh, that there was a greater capacity to feel as if uh, we were living in the world, you know, not just in uh, one country, uh, uh, but that the world was 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 the place where we lived, and the world was uh, uh, the uh, generator of our responsibilities. Uh, and I know that. Uh, you know, George read very uh, uh, widely. He was aware of what was going on in um, Vietnam, and he read Ho Chi Minh, and uh, he read um, about the, the, the struggles in Latin America that were unfolding at the time. He was, you know, very fluid about what was happening in Africa. Uh, and it was very clear that, uh, that his stage was an international stage, even though uh, d during the last period of his time, he was you know, locked up in a small place uh, 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 in um, the San Francisco Bay. Uh, uh, but he was living in the world. He was inhabiting uh, the world. And I think that that kind of internationalism uh, is really needed at this moment, uh, considering the impact of, of, of neoliberalism and uh, global capitalism and exceptionalism. Uh, that um, even in this really uh, spectacular moment of awareness about structural racism, uh, there's the tendency to assume that it's only valid here in this country, and therefore not to think about uh, the, uh, the ways in which racism uh, has become so institutionalized, um, colonialism, slavery, the very basis of capitalism. Uh, uh, so that uh, our struggles here should be placed within a context that includes what's happening in Brazil, that includes struggles against police violence in South Africa, 
uh, because the institution in South Africa is still a racist institution, even though uh, the majority of, of police officers are black. Uh, that's one of the most compelling examples of the structural and institutional character of racism. Uh, so uh, I, I, I think that uh, uh, we would do well to you know, study uh, the ways in which uh, George and others develop this sense of themselves as a part of the planet, uh, uh, you know, not simply uh, a part of the United States of America. And to see that someone cultivates this uh, from a prison cell is even more inspiring. It's very hard, excuse me, <clears throat> you know, it's very hard for me to see uh, something I think is so spectacular and worry about the relatively small audience and the relatively small resonance with it. Mm. I mean, that Angela Davis talk has about, you know, I was writing down just about every sentence, and... You know, I just had a little flash of, you know, George Jackson and uh, Angela Davis were lovers. And imagine if they had children. I was just picturing what their children would be like. Holy man, it was like another Paul Robeson species. But um, the way that she's listening, Angela is listening to ideas and, and 50 years later is so excited about George what I'm worried about is when we meet a lot of the young organizers today, uh, I don't think they're that interested in this level of historicism and this level of introspection, this level of internationalism. I mean, like, as she said, Angela said, so he's, I'm just taking one page, selected articles and speeches by Ho Chi Minh. Prison, this is George. Prison Diary by Ho Chi Minh. The World in Africa by W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, History of the Labor Movement in the United States by Philip Foner, very important. Death of a Revolutionary, Che Guevara's Last Mission, The Prison Letters of George Jackson, So on Ice by Eldridge Cleaver, Malcolm X Speaks, um, The Nature of Democracy, Freedom, and Revolution by Herbert Aftheker, again. So one of the big thinkers in his library was Herbert Aftheker, who you should check out was a leading anti-racist, anti-imperialist theorist in the Communist Party. Uh, Enemy of the Sun by Nasser Arori Edmund Hareb, Drub and Spear Press. Oh, Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison. That changed my life when I was about 18. Selected Works by V.I. Lennon changed my life when I was about 30. Uh, Capital, The Process of Capitalist Production as a Whole by Karl Marx, The Myth of Sisyphus by Albert Camus, and Why Not Every Man by back to Herbert Aftheker. So what's the point of this? I mean, the point is that when we were in prison, we read voraciously, voraciously, I think the word is, voraciously, we, uh, we read a lot, a lot, a lot, meaning two, three, four, five hours a day. Um, the Strategy Center has a bookstore, uh, Strategy and Soul. We have a film theater, uh, Strategy and Soul Theater. 
neither of them are doing particularly well, a lot because of COVID. You know, we were onto something. But I think what I'm getting to is the purpose of this show is it turns out to develop like a curriculum for organizers to think about several things. And we're going to listen to my clip in a minute. The first thing is, what are you reading? In the, in the wonderful film, uh, The Revolution Will Be Strategized by um, uh, Lucas Yaris Johnson, Gil Cedillo, who's now a city councilman but has been my very, very friend for a long time, describing the strategy center, he said, one of the things you like to the strategy center is people would always come up to you and say, what are you reading? What are you reading? And I thought that was so proud of that, that that was in the culture. Leanne Hurst Mann contributed to that culture. Um, Tammy Banglu was reading. Manuel Criollo was reading. We were reading. And you got to start reading folks out there, especially the young black and Latino Latinx organizers, but also what are you reading? And George was reading communist, third world, anti-imperialist writing. So when I keep saying we want to be able to be pro-communist, anti-racist, anti-imperialist, anti-genocidal, climate justice movement, you know, half of, I mean, virtually every book George is reading is by communist theorists or communist organizers. Yeah. Now, why? Why? Because the communists were the ones who were winning. The communists had discipline. The communists had a strategy. They had an international movement. So he's reading about Africa. He's reading about Latin America. He's reading about Asia. Why? Because he's in a cell, and he wants to get out. It's not white America that wants him out. It's the third world that wants him out. So his friends are the third world. And when I was in prison, my friends were the third world, too. Third world books. So if it's okay, D'Angelo, do you have the clip from me? I hope. No? Uh, okay. So I was asked to participate. And I wrote a book called um, Comrade George, an investigation into the life, political thought, and assassination of George Jackson. And you know by now I spent a year and a half in prison, but I don't know if you know, I spent another three years on probation, which we'll talk about some other time, and at least three more years writing to prisoners, going to prisons, helping the prisoners movement, and... Um, uh, working with the Attica Brothers Defense Committee. So after I speak, I'd love to hear what you're thinking, Channing. Um, so when they asked me to speak about George Jackson, because George is understood as an advocate of armed struggle, his brother went into the uh, Marin County ha uh, Courthouse with a gun, and uh, because in... in George's book, Blood in My Eye, he talks a lot about armed guerrilla struggle. I didn't want people to focus on that. I mean, it's fine to read about it, but I wanted people to focus on George as a revolutionary intellectual and George as a writer. And that's what my focus was. And this is Eric Mann on George Jackson 50 years later. Hi, everybody. My name is Eric Mann. I'm the director of the Labor 
Community Strategy Center here in South Central Los Angeles. I'm deeply honored to be part of the Freedom Archive tribute to George Jackson on the 50th anniversary of his assassination. We know that George Jackson was murdered. We know he was a great political thinker. I want to talk more about how a person like me ended up having so much of my life related to the life of George Jackson. I was born as a Jew in Brooklyn in 1942. Parents were anti-fascist, and they told me that the Jews and the Negroes are in the same boat. I ended up in the Congress of Racial Equality I, with the black militants in Harlem. I worked in the Newark Community Union Project, and then I went to work with STS, Students for Democratic Society. Out of that, I joined an offshoot or a separate group called Weatherman, in which we believed it was important for white people to be taking very militant actions to up the level of protest against the war in Vietnam and the system's war against the black liberation movement. I and we initiated an attack on the Harvard Center for International Affairs on September 25th, 1969. I don't know what they were so mad about. All we did was break the windows, spray painted everything, say death to U.S. imperialism, fuck the U.S. system, free the black prisoners. The concept was purposely to be shocking. If you asked me at the time what would happen, I'll be honest with you, I probably hadn't thought about the consequences very much. So they took me to trial, charged me, and to my shock, they, they gave me one year in prison. A very famous civil rights lawyer said, that's an outrage. Uh, we should appeal the case, but don't worry, they can't give you any more time under Massachusetts law. Well, we appealed and I got two years in prison and three years on probation. During that period, I prayed. I prayed to George Jackson and I prayed to Nelson Mandela. What you have to understand is prison is deeply contemplative and as George said, they're going to break you or you're going to break your old self and become somebody else just out of self-defense. So George, I love you more than I can express. You, you had my back. You watched over me and uh, when I was really low, you told me, Eric, you know the job. There's no time to feel sorry for yourself. Just get your ass in and do the job. And I said, okay, George, I got it. So I didn't mainly live in terror. I worked and did a book about George called Comrade George, an investigation into the life, political thought, and assassination of George Jackson. And then, through a little bit of luck and good organizing, I convinced Harper and Rowe to do a mass market paperback Comrade George, an investigation into life, political thought, and assassination of George Jackson. I came out of prison to see George Jackson. I got out in July of 1971. I was already becoming a writer about the prison movement. And I went to uh, the Bay Area only to find out that George Jackson was killed. So many elements we could talk about George's life, but I want to focus on George as a black revolutionary intellectual, and in particular, his role as a black revolutionary writer. In Comrade George, there's a quote by a prisoner who said, why do you think George was killed? Because his writing was blowing the roof off the place. When you say George Jackson, the first thing you think about is Soledad Brother, the prison letters of George Jackson. When you read it, you realize, man, this is a 
essay on philosophy, history, psychology, all from a black third world revolutionary genius. This was the link. George took the prison movement, brought it into the revolutionary movement, brought it into the Black Panthers, who in return took George into the Black Panther paper, which is unbelievable, and he became a public intellectual figure. So the freeing of black political prisoners, the prison movement, was critical to George Jackson's development. In, in the later version of Soledad Brother, the French playwright Jean Genet says, remember, the Soledad Brother is a call to action, a revolutionary manifesto, a tract, a revolutionary call to action. It's hard to imagine that in 1971, there were approximately 300,000 people in US prisons if you figure that black people were 30% of those prisoners with only 10% of the population, that would be 90,000 black people in prison. Today, there's 2.5 million people in prison, not including millions and millions and millions in the parole system, the probation system, and every other damn system they have. How is it possible there's a million black prisoners today? There were 200,000 people in prison, now there's 200,000 women in prison, 30, 40% of whom are black. It's because they killed the revolutionaries. They murdered the Black Panthers, Fred Hampton, little Bobby Hutton, Carl Hampton, George Jackson, Jonathan Jackson, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. You can't have a revolution without leaders, you can't. And you can't have a revolution without revolutionary organizations. Today, the things people are saying about the Panthers, about George Jackson, these are not things you put on a t-shirt. These are real people that you gotta read. You gotta read Soledad, brother. And yeah, I think you gotta read Comrade George as well. You put these two together, I think you have a pretty good understanding. So let me summarize what I think the core issues of George were. The first is George believed that black people were colonial people, as he said, the vast majority of people in the world are Asia, Africa, Latin America. But we have to kill the barbarians, the white barbarians who create the white settler state. So I think the central question right now is that we need a black-led revolution in the United States. That revolution has to be anti-imperialist and, in my opinion, pro-communist. And when that revolutionary army comes out of the oceans for all the slaves that were killed during the transatlantic slave trade, and when the Revolutionary Army flies over, you'll see George Jackson leading a squadron of revolutionaries to help us. Well, I think it was really brilliant. Uh, you know, the Metro gives us one minute and we get a lot done. And you had seven minutes. And you got a hell of a lot done. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> seven minutes. You know, there, there's a few points I want to want to touch on. I think I love your point around the Revolutionary Army and there's this great show we did on Voices last year, I think, right? Um, Too Black to Fail. And I think you were calling it magical realism. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, magical realism. And I think it's a fantastic show. And what it does and what your comment here does is it it brings to life what we're trying to do, that in the book and the writing of the text and the writing of history, it cements their ideas, it cements their, the ideologies, and it cements the history of the movement. Um, and, you know, 
that's super important because the struggle we're having, not just with young folks, but with the school sites and the school district, is how do we bring this history to life for students? And even some of the most uh, progressive places, because they are progressive, they think that they want to be in leadership of progressive thought, right. uh, which puts us out. Um, but that also puts out George Jackson. That also puts out Stokely Carmichael, Fannie Lou Hamer, and all the great revolutionaries that young folks don't even know their names today uh, by majority. So I think that's one thought. Um, you know, the other thought is around this idea of cancel culture, which I think you talked about. Um, you know, when you're saying the things that people are saying today about the Black Panthers and about uh, black revolutionaries, about Malcolm X, and I agree with you. Um, and I call it cancel culture because you think that because Malcolm X doesn't say anything about queer folks that you should automatically cancel all of his thoughts and not study anything. Uh, but in the in the in the same realm, knowing that you have not even built anything that comes close to what Malcolm X has built, um, you know, for myself, I, and I think I focus on Malcolm X because I think he's one of the most thoughtful and articulate revolutionaries that I've ever read from speech, and. I read and read and read his speeches over good, and over, and good. I listen and listen and listen to his speeches over and over, trying to figure out how do I talk about the work? How do I talk about revolu black revolution to students, to parents, to everyone? Um, but I just want to reaffirm what you're saying is that you the cancel culture really has to stop, and it's detrimental to the movement. Because um, you're canceling out. Somehow you are letting this... Uh, larger narrative of larger postmodernist narrative in my opinion of because they did not say this because they didn't say these catchwords then you're canceling your own history and the question for you is how in the hell did you get let the system let you get to a point where you're canceling a whole subset of your own history well take a minute on that i think it's great is that one of the things we have to say squarely is that a lot of the younger people, the people in the nonprofit world, would rather say it like this. Well, we appreciate George Jackson, but we have no interest in armed struggle even to discuss it. We appreciate George Jackson, but we're not communists, and we don't like communists. We appreciate George Jackson, but um, read, 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 uh, and look at what the hell he reads. We don't want to read that. Uh, look at George Jackson um, and Angela Davis. I mean, think about that as an amazing couple because she comes out of, at the time, academia and gets moved to the left because she was teaching some really good stuff only to be fired by the UC system and then becoming already a symbol. And they, she was strong enough, her base was strong enough to they could fire her, but they still allowed her to teach somehow, right, until they finally fired her. And... So you can say you like Angela Davis, but were you really listening to what she was saying? Because Angela Davis is very aware of culture and very aware of women's liberation and the problems of feminism. And in fact, in one of the films, she says, I didn't like the Panthers because they were very masculinist and they were very uh, mechanical and so forth. But then she ends up in the Che Lumumba Club, which is a communist 
third world club that they formed inside the Communist Party because they felt the Communist Party was too white chauvinist. Mm. So she already moved to the third world. Now she meets the Panthers. And Angela, if you're listening, I, I really mean it. I've been, I've been, I read the terrific film about your life, and uh, I've been listening, of course, to your own speaking. Angela said, I realized that we had to be more part of the black liberation movement and that the Panthers, because George was in the Panthers, was a lot more important than I thought. It, it didn't mean that it negated Angela's criticisms. Right. Back then, an Angela Davis, a June Jordan, a, a, a Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz, the Combahee River Collective, but they were in the black movement. They weren't saying, you guys ain't doing this. and you. They said, no, we need to articulate a clearer, pro-feminist, black liberation, anti-imperialism. And if you go see um, Audre Lorde, when I studied Audre Lorde, I had a feeling, I didn't know her well, because she's held up as a feminist who just doesn't like men, you know what I mean, and is breaking with all forms of patriarchy and everything, uh, which is true, but she was at all the anti-war rallies. She was in all the United Fronts. She was all in all the black struggle. She was part of the black struggle. She had her own independent organizations, but her goal was to be in the United Front, right? to shape it, to struggle with it, but not to go, you guys are no good and we're right, but to have influence. And she did have a lot of influence, and Combahee had a lot of influence. So what we're trying to tell a lot of the young people today is that when you're saying what we didn't do right, what you really mean is you don't want to do it. So let's just say that more clearly. I don't want to be a communist. I don't want to be in prison. I don't want to be in armed struggle. I don't want to be running around in Cuba and China and Vietnam. I don't want to read these 99 books. Uh, so, all right, so, so let me just end with a couple of thoughts and then go to Channing for maybe the last thought. The Strategy Center is still trying to figure out its role. We're playing a lot of roles. But, for instance, we are going to take all this stuff and transcribe it and put it into a written curriculum along with the audio. And it will come from our National Leadership School for Strategic Organizing in collaboration with Voices from the Frontlines, in collaboration with the Freedom Archives. And it'll have our comments on it. You know what I mean? So our, because I think we could generate a unit, if you're listening, if you have a Chicano or Chicano organization, if you have a black organization, if you have an organization of any type that would like to have a, a, like a prison unit, a, a unit of study, as, as Angela said about uh, critical prison studies, this could be a very good contribution, and you'd read probably Soy Brad Brother, and you would try to get some selections. We've got to figure out for my book, Comrade George. The biggest thing I want to say is that I've had a wonderful time. I mean, today, again, I spent two or three hours prepping, you know, once again listening to Angela, um, reading his list, and I think that we've done four phenomenal shows on black-led political prisoners, including Kevin Rasheed Johnson, who's 
doing George Jackson's work today, and we have to pay more attention to him. If you're interested in anything we're saying, including how to help, please send emails to eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and channing at thestrategycenter.org. Um, I have a list of about five years of comments of letters to Voices from the Frontlines. I'm making a project to delete all the other mail in it and to make sure I write back to every single person who wrote me over the last five years. So please do write. Let us know you're out there. It means so much. Channing, why don't you take us out of here? Sure. The other thing is that you know that we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we are on SoundCloud, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on just about everything. And believe it or not, on top of me going out into the streets and organizing and running a straight and so I'm also paying attention to your comments, and I do respond to your comments on the spot when you say things on the videos or even when you send messages. And so... We're looking for you to send those messages as well. Um, you know, I've, I've, through the work of the Strategy Center, I've learned how to manage websites in some sort. So when Eric is talking about this project, you know, I'm sitting here getting excited, already thinking about the visuals and how I'm going to organize a whole web page and how it's going to have its own menu. It's geeky stuff. You might not be excited about it, but I I'm am. excited about it. <laughs> I am. I was more geeky. It's very exciting, um, revolutionary stuff. <laughs> I, I appreciate your vote of confidence. <laughs> so I'm already moving towards to figuring out how do we do a collective web page on that. And there's already a playlist on SoundCloud, and so you can go look up Voices from the Frontlines on SoundCloud with the last three shows. But by the time this comes out, we'll have five segments uh, up on a web page that you'll be able to send your students to. Um, and we would love to work with you on that. And so, again, just email us, eric at voicesfromthefrontlines.com and channing at thestrategycenter.org. And I was in – how many we have? Do we have a minute? Uh, I'm also in something called the uh, Civil Rights Movement Veterans Site, CRMB. Bruce Franklin does an amazing job. And about once a year, because I mean, I'm there with about 500 veterans, somebody finds me and says, could you come and talk to my class? And we would love to come to talk to your class. After we get this website up, we'll work with the Freedom Archives, but let's bring the, the prisoners who are absolutely right now being um, kidnapped bring their consciousness into the movement so we could discuss how to free all political prisoners, to free all black prisoners, and to tear down the prison system. This is Eric Mann. You're on Voices from the Front Lines. All power to the people. All power to the people. The end is near And so I got to face The final curtain Friends, I'll say it clear and state my case of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway and more much more than this I dig my own